0: Hello and welcome to I Found a Thing, the podcast where we go through Kickstarter and talk about the board games that we found there. My name is Evan Winch and joining me as always, my co-host Sean Moore. How's it going, Sean?
1: I'm a little more broke this week because the <laughs> Marvel United Kickstarter just ended and my wallet suffered.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask, how are things? Are, are you doing okay? How's your wallet feeling?
1: Uh, Emptier, but that was a roller coaster of a ride. That was a lot of things being announced daily. Constantly
0: and oh my gosh. I saw a post on the board gaming subreddit where the guy said, Is anyone feeling kind of burnt out on Kickstarter updates? I'm on this Marvel United thing and I get an update every four hours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, yeah, in between sixty to a hundred thousand to like two hundred thousand. Anytime they hit a certain stretch goal, they'd be like, All right, a new character, new character, and then every Friday was a new expansion pack and then it felt like every second Wednesday they're also announcing an expansion pack and
0: So I wasn't actually on the campaign, but I would check it just to see what characters had got added as stretch goals. My finger progressively got more sore every time I checked because of how <laughs> many more additions there were to that campaign. <laughs> just so much more to scroll through.
1: Yeah, and again, they got very, very specific at the end. Like, so we're in Canada, so we know a little bit more about these guys than other people, but like They added Alpha Flight to that game. (laughs)
0: Which is so random.
1: Yeah, and it's like the nickname everyone calls them is Canadian X-Men. Like they're discount X-Men. And they're like, (laughs) nope. Here's Guardian and North Star and Sasquatch and Puck. And like, only I care about this. This is great.
0: There's a certain point. Now, I'm not the biggest wealth of knowledge when it comes to comic book stuff. I know the popular stuff really, really well. But once it gets a little bit too niche, I start to not know as much they were dropping characters i didn't even realize existed like there was one not blob but the uh, green guy Dupe. that's made yeah that guy yeah yeah when when that came out i just went you know what people are going to get very excited for this i'm excited that it's in there i have no idea what this is
1: <laughs> well it's funny i like some people would get excited especially like a Mimi character that nature but then like all the other ones are like where's nightcrawler where's kitty pride we need these now Stop messing around!
0: They were hiding behind the wall of $5 million.
1: (laughs) They were. So it was all supposed to be X-Men themed, and then after they made all the money, then they threw in Fantastic Four, which not exactly related and at the very end they're like well people keep asking for cloak and dagger and they're not x-men at all no they're not mutants i mean maybe they're with the mutants every once in a while but they really have no ties and they're just like we're just it in because you know why not
0: uh we're gonna kick things off this week with another kickstarter that is a bit of a runaway success their goal originally was 10k they're currently sitting well over that. My Kickstarter is set to Canadian dollars, so they're currently at almost 700000 at the time of this recording. But it is My Father's Work, a very chunky, very crunchy Euro game with the theming of being a mad scientist in Victorian or slightly before Victorian Europe.
1: Art-wise, it's a little drab, but I'm sure there's a reason for that.
0: You find this drab? Uh,
1: a little bit. Maybe just the board and whatnot. I know the characters look a little bit more... Bright, but otherwise, yeah, a little drab sometimes.
0: I can kind of see that. A lot of this is prototype still. What's interesting Mm -hmm. about the board is that it's not the board you will play with always. So you have your outer board, and then you have a spiral ring bound sheet of paper that goes in the center of the board, and that is where your worker placement spots are. This is a worker placement game. And depending on what you do throughout the course of the game, those Pages will get flipped around to different uh, villages to represent and reflect what has happened over the course of play. So this game is going to be broken up into three rounds called Generations. And the idea is that you are playing as the child of a mad scientist. He has imparted to you a goal in life, which is to create something. It could be a flying machine. It could be a Frankenstein monster. It could be just a way of preserving pickles longer. There's a lot of really weird kind of quirky and tongue-in-cheek gags in this game. And at the end of a generation, your character is going to die. You're going to lose all of your resources, but the research that you've done and some of the improvements that you've made to your mansion are going to stay around. So when your kids are take over your mantle of being mad scientists. They're that much further ahead to the end goal, but they have to collect all those resources all over again.
1: When I heard this, I had no idea what to think because they were pushing stuff like thousands and different scenarios played out. So what exactly does that mean?
0: So they're advertising that each scenario, there's three scenarios in the box as of right now. I think there might be a fourth scenario as one of the stretch goals. And the scenarios kind of dictate what your goals are and kind of some of the conditions and modifiers that are going to be affecting the game. They're saying that this will cause about 13 trillion different possible outcomes and story variations as you play. And the reason that they're calling that such a high number is because there are decks of cards that you're going to be drawing from. So there's a little bit of variability there. But there's also an app which is integral to actually playing this game. So the app's going to say, hey, draw from this deck. Whatever you draw is then going to not only influence your special player abilities, like maybe every time you gain a coffin, you're also going to be able to gain some gears, that sort of thing. Uh, It's also going to influence the way that the pages flip when you are progressing the village, progressing generations, and changing the way that you get worker placement spots.
1: Without the app? You can't do this on the side?
0: I think you could play it without the app. I haven't really seen a lot of gameplay for it. There was one gameplay video up on YouTube when I checked. It looks to me like you could do this without the app, but the app is kind of something that they're really pushing, uh, especially Mm -hmm. with the stretch goals. Uh, One of the big stretch goals was getting the app uh, voiceover, which they have unlocked, so it's going to add a little bit more atmosphere to the experience. But it seems like this is kind of like a Mansions of Madness situation where the app is really going to help rein in some of the sprawl of this game because, like I said at the top, this is a really crunchy game. Part of the crunch is going to come from the fact that it is a worker placement game. And those workers are going to be very similar to a game that we covered a couple weeks ago, uh, Monsters and Meeples, or if you have ever played Paladins of the West Kingdom, where certain workers will do better on certain spots and others won't do as well on those spots. So what's interesting about this is the models that you get could be anything. You could use this particular character as your character. You could use it as your spouse. You could use it as your caretaker. You would just put it into a different base depending on what role you actually want that particular model to possess. So let's say uh, you place your personal, this is my character worker in town, but you also want to do some mad experiments. If you get your wife worker to do that you are probably going to take a little bit of a hit to your sanity gauge because your wife, she's not really the mad scientist type. She's more the type of person that wants to go into town and buy some gears. So you got to really be careful with the way that you're using your workers and you do have a limited pool of workers to use for each round within each generation.
1: What exactly are you completing? Like, what is the goal as a Beanamayad scientist?
0: Your goal is to complete one of those major inventions that you're kind of assigned at the start of the game. So, you're drawing from a deck, seeing what it is you want to invent, whether that be a flying machine or a Frankenstein monster, sort of thing. And the whole point of the game is to do the research you need to eventually, over the generations, be able to acquire the resources you need to complete that invention and be racking up the victory points along the way. Basically, completing the end invention is going to get you the most victory points. I believe you can win without doing that. It's just going to be a lot easier if you complete it. There's two things with this that do make it a little bit harder of a sell. Obviously, the theme, I think, is kind of carrying it a little bit, and I have a feeling this is going to be the type of game that you might be able to hold off on backing and then get it a little bit cheaper on the secondhand market just because it is going to be a little heavier than a lot of people realize i think the art's kind of luring quite a few people in and the reason i say that is it's a hundred dollars u.s or 130 bucks canadian it's also got a three hour play time on the box
1: yeah i see that too
0: which on your first or second third play might be a little bit longer than three hours especially as you're kind of trying to get your bearings i imagine if we played this on tts it would likely last four or five as TTS tends to drag out games it looks really cool I really like the concept of losing all of your resources at the end of each generation and then starting like turning over a new leaf new generation new goals new aspirations but you're always working towards that one central goal I think the spiral bound book of village worker placement spots is really neat there's a lot of uh, periphery mechanics that are kind of cool like there's a i want to call it a crazy track that's not the official name for it but basically you're standing in the town so if you're doing a lot of weird stuff in your mansion the town basically thinks you're crazy and they send a mob out to you but if you kind of play your cards right don't act as crazy you know kind of keep to the shadows there is a mechanic and i'm not entirely sure how this works or how it affects gameplay but you can be elected mayor of the town (laughs) and
1: then go crazy and then go crazy as mayors do What have
0: you got uh, on the docket, Sean?
1: I've got Kiwi Chowdown. This is from
0: Detestable Games. This is the most you game I think you've brought.
1: Minus like, you know, talking about comic book characters last week. Yeah, probably. I would say Think Root. Think wingspan, think Marvel United. Detestable Games has worked on doing a trilogy of flightless bird games. They started off with War for Chicken Island, which is supposed to come out soon. Dodo's Riding Dinos, which is, uh, I believe, summer this year. I know it's been delayed a bit because of COVID and everything. And now they're doing Kiwi Chowdown. So uh, the way I would break it down is in, you know, in uh, Marvel United, I'd say it's about 20% Marvel United, where you have cards in your hands. And then you play them and that's how you play your actions as opposed to just going through a list of like Here's the list of available actions in front of you. They're played through cards 30% Wingspan would be like Wingspan has different lands such as the wetlands, grasslands, and forest. In this one, you have four different lands, flower, grass, mountain, and sand. Uh, And just like Wingspan, they have seasons. So in this game, when you play three cards, your season is over and you get bonus perks uh, just like you would in a round of uh, Wingspan. And then you also get uh, extra bonus things too.
0: Because cards are so important in this, is this a situation where you have a pre-assigned deck, you cannot add any more to it? Or are you able to go to a market and buy cards?
1: Uh, No, it's a pre-assigned deck. Uh, once you run out, then you just do it again. There's no picking up new cards. The difference between you and the other cards out there, I believe, is your leaders. Your leaders will do very specific things, and when you activate them, it, it triggers something than someone else's
0: uh, Kiwi leader. Mm. So a little bit of asymmetry and player powers.
1: A little bit, yeah. Now the other thing is, like, 50% roots, so you have area control and then actions that you're allowed to do. And not many people know this, but you came from the land of Down Under not too many years ago, correct?
0: Uh, this is true. I'm hiding my Australian accent now. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it was only a vacation. Your accent didn't change too much.
0: <laughs> well, we leave that detail out.
1: How many Kiwis did you see there?
0: I saw one, and I'm 95% sure I heard one when I was camping one night.
1: Now, do you know what happens? Because you were there, and you, you got to see the Kiwis, and people were talking about them. Do you know what happens when you feed a Kiwi?
0: They get happy?
1: Maybe, but they also level up and become more of like a super kiwi.
0: Oh, they did mention that on the tour.
1: Yeah. So in this, one of the actions you can do is after you've collected food, feed food to your kiwi. So the kiwis are all represented in tokens. So you have one kiwi on the board and then you put another on the board and suddenly you've got a more powerful kiwi. What happens when you feed uh, a two-level kiwi, Evan?
0: They become a three-level.
1: That's right. And just like what happens in New Zealand, what happens when you feed a three level kiwi.
0: Armageddon, it's actually illegal there.
1: For good reason, because in this game, is represented well because uh, the kiwi will explode. <laughs> oh
0: <my laughs> so
1: it's kind of a crazy mechanic. So the, the actions you can do is collect food. So obviously you can feed the, the kiwis. You can also use it to build a nest and you can use it to move a kiwi one more time, which includes moving your big leader kiwi, which basically just shoves all the other kiwis out of the way. Depending on what bonus they have. They're still working on the, the mechanics for it. Buildings, much like in Root, they'll get you certain bonuses uh, when you play them. At the end of the seasons, you also get bonuses. Plus, it's about area control. So it's it's basically one more Kiwi in a location. The reason you want Kiwis in a certain place is that you want to have control over a certain Land, or maybe you don't want control of it. But their scoring mechanics interesting. Instead of like you just look at the board and you just count up which areas are more dominant, you you're able to obtain something called domain markers. Okay. And what that does is, at the end of a round, you can take one of your domain markers, and if you have an area that is fully controlled by one of your kiwis, so like let's say you have three kiwis in an area and everyone else only has like one or two, you can lay a domain marker down put a a Kiwi upside down on it, and suddenly that's yours. And you get to do it once per season. Trick is, at the last, last season, instead of just doing it once, you get to do it as many times as possible.
0: And is it the person with the most domain markers out that wins?
1: Yes. Uh, That is exactly it. So
0: you're basically trying to build up an engine so that you can just flood the market with kiwis
1: yeah essentially so you can use the kiwis to shove other kiwis like a a level two pushes a level one but if you have a level three out there there's a danger that someone's going to take that level three and feed it and then it's just going to pop and you actually get two domain markers for every time you feed someone else's kiwi
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Uh, the, out of the three they've done, this one's actually the most interesting on strategy wise. Like I know I back uh, Dodo's riding dinosaurs and it, it seems like fun it seems more like a a kids game cuz you're like literally like throwing foam objects at figurines. And this one is like Definitely the opposite. Like you you need to think things through to do it.
0: I know they're recommending this for ten plus. Would you say that this skews more towards being a kids' game or more to being something that we would play as adults?
1: Um, probably a bit of both. Okay. It might be a ten might be a little young. I mean there's no words per se other than in the the leader's uh, abilities. It's a lot of icons, so like once you understand the icons, you should be good to go and it's fairly colorful like I can see kids liking it. I just feel like you'd have to be the rules police because, you know, a 10-year-old's going to forget like, "Oh, well this You know, this one mechanic, you know, has to happen in order to make this other mechanic happen.
0: 10 seemed a little young to me.
1: But art style and theme wise, it is definitely for 10 year olds. You you might have to be on their team a couple of times, (laughs) but yeah.
0: I resent that. (laughs) One thing I'm noticing with the stretch goals, this is kind of interesting. They have a lot of stretch goals that aren't monetary. They are number of backers.
1: Yeah, and uh, I found that cool. So you can, right now it's a four-player game. Looks like if they get to 2,500 backers, they're able to do fifth-player extension. And I thought there's a goal to even get to six players if possible, or at least have a sixth leader you can use. Oh, you can play this on Tabletopia. I didn't know that.
0: Oh, fancy. I'm glad that more Mm -hmm. um, publishing houses and developers on Kickstarter are integrating Tabletopia and TTS into this. I think it helps a lot make a decision. (laughs)
1: Yeah, out of all the games that we're talking about, the only one that doesn't is My Father's Works.
0: Which I find interesting, because to me, that is a $100 game, which I would love to test before I drop any money on it. Yeah, right? (laughs) Although, like we said before, it would probably be a four-hour experience on TTS, and the app doesn't exist. So I guess that's why they can't do it. That'd be fair. Uh, speaking of games that have a TTS mod, we're moving right along into Stationfall, which is a new game from Ion Games. And if you're familiar with Ion Games, you're probably thinking this is going to be a very heavy game. And it kind of comes in the lineage of heavier games, but it is not quite that heavy. It's a game called Stationfall, and this is taking on the recent surge of strategic deduction games that we've been seeing with games like Hidden Leaders, although this is a little bit more akin to Nemesis, which was on Kickstarter a couple years back. Uh, If you're familiar with Nemesis, it was basically Aliens, the board game. Everyone is on a spaceship. At the start of the game, you're assigned a secret objective that could be to murder first player it could be to eject all the escape pods but survive the aliens there are a bunch of different options there station fall is going to be very similar in that you are all on a space station that is hurtling towards earth and you all have secret roles so everyone at the start of the game is going to be assigned a different character which is going to have different abilities but it's a secret As soon as you Mm. reveal or people figure out who you are, they're then going to know what your victory conditions are because the victory conditions are tied in to the character.
1: So I see some of the characters here. You got the troubleshooter, engineer, astrochimp, medical. Does everyone know who each other is at the beginning or are are you able to move everyone at once?
0: No, it's a secret as to what you are. There are non-player characters in this as well. So at the start of the game, when you hand out who's who, some of these characters are going to just be thrown out there as NPC characters, which you're able to manipulate. So there is a little bit of that hidden role that we saw in Veiled Fate last year. And then, like I say, that potential for a quote-unquote trader mechanic it's not a full-out trader like it is in something like the resistance where your whole objective is to kill everybody it could be but generally speaking it's going to be more like make sure that you knock off the astro chimp or make sure that the medic is never able to get into the med bay and that's what's going to score you the points okay one of the mechanics in this does involve the fact that everyone's role is secret because at some point in the game you can decide to reveal hey I've been the astro chimp the whole time and when you do that you get another set of player powers that are only available to you once you've revealed who you are
1: oh okay so for example when you said uh don't let the medical into the med bay how do you make sure that doesn't happen or if it does happen do you reveal yourself and try to go for a different goal
0: that was me explaining something and making up examples on the fly which as i said it i realized (laughs) made literally no sense (laughs) fair enough there are victory point tokens in this so i mean if you do score some points you can just take the token so i guess If the Medbay thing was real, then, like, if you block them from getting in there, I guess you take a token. Going back to my horrible analogy. But uh, (laughs) you had another question, I think.
1: Uh, No, I was just going to say, so, like, if Astrochimp is able... Let's say his objective is to, you know, throw a banana into the engineer's face. Once he does that, does he reveal himself and then you get a t- totally different role, or do you just get a new secret agenda, but people know you're Astro Chimp?
0: No, people just know you're Astro Chimp because the scoring mechanics are built in to the characters. So Nemesis is a little bit different. That's the alien-esque one from a few years ago. And that at the start of the game, everyone knows who each other are. Like, I'm the engineer, you're the captain, but we all are given cards with secret objectives on it. And once the alien is revealed then we choose which objective we want to take into the end of the game. So let's say my objective could be either let the captain die to the alien or eject all the escape pods but successfully survive the attack. At that point, I'd say, well, Sean's alone in a room with the alien. I'm pretty confident that he's going to get murked this turn. I'm just going to take the captain dying objective. Whereas Mm. in this game, they are conjoined. So if your astrochimp and I've played this a couple of times, I know that Astrochimp needs to do X, Y, and Z, and as soon as you reveal that you're Astrochimp, I know for sure that you have to do X, Y, and Z, and I can kind of start to block that sort of progress from happening.
1: Okay, interesting. Yeah,
0: there are some other hidden objectives that you can get in this one, but the main scoring, much like Root has its own unique scoring for each character, is built into the characters of this game.
1: I just saw a character where I'm like, is that a part of another character or is that it? Uh, There's a, is is the lab rat a playable character?
0: There's 27 characters total in this game, so I'm 95% sure lab rat is one. Uh, I kind of got a little bit overwhelmed. I know there's a telepathic (laughs) rat as a playable character.
1: Oh, okay. He not only is a lab rat, he's telepathic.
0: Heck yeah, he is. (laughs) This is available on Tabletop Simulator, so if it kind of cranks your fancy, you are fully able to give it a try and the other thing that I think is kind of neat about this one is the player count it supports one to nine players
1: wow
0: and allegedly it'll play in about 120 minutes so it could be a nice game night if you have more people than you expect don't really feel like doing a party game but want to have that party game atmosphere
1: that's true and I keep seeing how they're talking about the legally not a xenomorph (laughs) yes the x-monster What's his deal?
0: Uh, So that's a Kickstarter exclusive mini. It is a creature that is on this research station. So there's a couple of different creatures on the research station, which can be released. Coming back to examples that would have been better, releasing the Project X would have probably been the way to go. But uh, like that could be your goal as Astrochimp is... release a project x monster and have it kill a player and when that happens you would get points or maybe releasing it is one goal having it kill a player is another goal um there's a bunch of different things you can do with that i don't believe you can actually play as the monster because it's something that has to be released
1: that's fair (laughs) you just spend turns after turn like well i'll come out someday (laughs) i guess yeah
0: you're just the guy sitting over in the corner hey guys you know what'd be really funny is if you let project x monster out
1: (laughs) It's that one tool who goes to the pool party and like, guys, wouldn't it be funny if we skinny dipped, right? It was just so funny. (laughs) All right, well, moving along, uh, we have another game called Ice, or you pronounce it Uh. Uh, for for stylistic reasons. They space out the letters, so it kind of makes it a pain for searching online. But Ice is a brand-new game from a brand-new developer. It looks gorgeous. Uh, The way I would describe it, it's clean cartoon style so think if you are familiar with uh the video games like pyre hades banner saga a little bit more abstract and i don't know what they call this kind of uh shading but instead of going like say you're going from uh a blue to like a dark shadow and you go from blue to black it's a slow gradient there in this type of artwork it's more like blue dark blue black like it's a very deliberate choice what they're going through there Uh, and the board is huge it's this big hexagon and it's deep too so the idea is that you're on an expedition and you're looking for artifacts so the idea of this is that you are on this huge chunk of ice and you are exploring and you're looking for artifacts and to set it up on the bottom of the board you need to place i believe it's 12 tiles once they're placed you place a few more on top and you keep adding more and more and more, and it keeps expanding outwards more and more and more. So you start with 12 on the bottom, but at the end, the top layer is going to have 58 tiles.
0: You basically are making lasagna that you're digging down into.
1: You can call, so that means taking archaeologist Meeple to the camp of your choice, or you take a leader to a camp of your choice. You can explore, so every movement costs you one action. But the cool thing is if you start an area with, like, to archaeologists, they get to come with you as you move. This is like the half action you can plan. So that means if you're thinking, I don't think there's anything I really want to do this turn, you can hold over one action for your next turn. Mm. Uh, and then finally, you have excavate. Uh, and so that means you spend three action points to remove one of the hexagonal layers from the ice. However, the caveat is it costs you one less for every leader and archaeologist on your tile. So if you have an archaeologist, two leaders with you, uh, it's actually just a free action. And there's certain rules on how you can dig and you can't just like say, forget it, I'm going to go to the bottom of the uh, this map because it, it just doesn't, like physically you can't just lift the tile out that way. But when you flip, every tile that you flip over has something to it. So like I said, uh, you're looking for artifacts and artifacts give you certain bonuses as well. But like you want to get artifacts. So rather than mean just like this luck of a draw, I hope I get the right tile I need uh, situation. If you flip something over and it's not an artifact, you still get a bonus. That tile will give you certain bonuses that can help you on your next turn. So you don't ever end up necessarily leaving empty
0: handed. One thing I like about it is because like you say, when you flip it over, you find out if it's an artifact or not. Once you get to the second layer, you can see that it is an artifact frozen in the ice you just don't know if it's active or inactive at that point
1: yeah and there's certain reasons active and inactive do it has to do with like scorings and stuff uh and artifacts also help like they give you an extra action point or there's certain little bonuses you get when you have them overall like it looks simple it's one of those like uh the more you play it obviously the Simpler it gets. I find it's a little bit like um, Flashpoint when you first explain it to someone, like, "Whoa, my head's about to explode." And then after a couple of times, like, "Okay, so let the puppy burn to death, or I uh, I don't let it burn to death." You know, the choices become similar. But there's a lot of like things around the side that change things up. Like on every turn, there's a a new event, and you have things on the board that can uh, change the outcome of the game. The thing I I like about it is all you have as a player is the leader the archaeologists are anyone's they anyone can take them the camps are anyone's you have basically uh your backpack like you just have yourself and that's it so you don't want to be like i'll take a whole team down here and then realize that actually helps another player when they do it so you have to kind of think ahead of that
0: i think that's an interesting mechanic as well because it seems like a pretty cut and dry straightforward game strategy wise you dig down but with the addition of the archaeologists being anybody's and being kind of fair game for moving them around, I think that does add an extra layer of strategy to it in that, well, yeah, it'd be great to excavate this particular tile, but then I'm opening up my opponent to be able to take a lot of my workers, move them over here, and excavate like three tiles on their turn.
1: And then the the pledges seem... Reasonable. Like at first, I thought like a hundred dollars Canadian, so 66 pounds was a little much. But like the board's huge. You have a lot of tiles. The archaeologists and leader uh, meeples—they're pretty generic. I-, I wish they did a little bit more with them. Uh, but I can I can see like that price mostly makes sense in my head. My biggest concern is this is a first-time publisher. And first-time designers too. Like I can't find too much uh, out on these guys. And like with anything with from Kickstarter, like it is always a risk. But like when it's like first created, two people who are brand new to this scene, like just a couple of flags. They have now. On the flip side, they have a lot of people doing a beta test for this right now. Like there's a lot of videos out there with the the game in their hand uh, and them trying it out. So like like they actually have physical products that they have prototyped at least. So that makes me less concerned. It's just more like this is a brand new team. So there's going to be some lumps with this for sure.
0: That is a good concern. I'm a little less freaked out by that in that to me, this is the perfect type of game for Kickstarter because it's so like everybody is so green. Uh, That's one of the advantages that there is to Kickstarter is that you can say I have a dream no one wants to do my dream because it's going to be kind of expensive and a bit of a gamble to give me a bunch of money to develop this thing, so I'm going to go to Kickstarter to do it. I do think the price point is a little steep. I I completely get what you're saying where it's like there are a lot of components. Mm -hmm. It does feel a bit expensive for the depth that I'm seeing, but with that being said, I'm also not really giving enough credit to the amount of strategy that's going to come in from placing your archaeologists.
1: Like, they break down, like, what's the biggest cost in all this. And it's strange. Like, the 18% of the cost is just manufacturing. The rest is, like, taxes, this fee, this fee, video productions, artwork, you know, all these other things you wouldn't necessarily think of. Mm. So, like, I'm pretty confident it would be shipped. I just don't. Like, when they say April 2022, new publisher... Covid's still a thing. Covid will probably still be a thing internationally for a long time. Yeah. There'll be some lumps with it. I know when I booted up the tabletop simulator, it just freaked out when I was trying <laughs> to get anything to work. There was this weird glitch where they're putting things under the ice. So I and I couldn't even flip the ice over at first. I, I if I fiddled around with it more, I probably would have got it uh, a little quicker, but. Like again it's a it's a new team. It's just you know something to watch out for sure.
0: I do appreciate that they've included that price breakdown. Thanks for pointing that out because that has kind of swayed me to change everything I just said a little bit because <laughs> you're right. Like taxes, manufacturing and shipping are well over 50% of the actual fees involved in this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The thing that I really appreciate about this is that they've recognized, hey, we got something really good going on with the art. We're going to sell prints. (laughs) And part of me is like, do I just want to buy
1: an art book?
0: I (laughs) kind of do.
1: I'm like, maybe my son might appreciate that. Again, I just use him to justify (laughs) stupid impulse
0: purchases. I'm discovering that I need a kid just to justify irrational purchases. (laughs) Of course Junior wants his motorcycle. He'll love it in 20 years.
1: (laughs) It's not even just gifts. It's just like, well, this is a children's cartoon, but I need to watch it first just to make sure it's quality (laughs) entertainment for my child. Is
0: Avatar The Last Airbender really something I want my son watching? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Do you know what innuendos are hidden in this show?
0: Hmm, they're making some really interesting facial expressions. I better make sure that's not <laughs> flirting. <laughs> going to wrap things up with uh, a game that I have been very excited about because I've actually played this one. It is Chai, T for two. Oh. Uh, yes, if you have been on the Kickstarter beat for the last couple of years, the name Chai is going to ring a bell. This was a game that came out a couple of years back, it was a game that would go up to five players. And the idea of Chai was that you were a tea salesperson. So you're trying to sell tea. I believe you were actually an importer. So you're trying to sell tea, rack up the victory points that way. Chai Tea for Two is a bit of a play on words because it is a sequel game, but it is also a two-player experience set in the Chai world. So kind of similar art style, very relaxing Art style, I would say. The cover for this one's gorgeous. But uh, the idea is that instead of being an importer, you are an exporter. You are running a plantation in China. And you are taking your tea through the refinement process that has been used over there for generations. So it's an educational experience in that you can learn a little bit more about how tea is made. And how different types of tea are processed. And it's also going to be a bit of a tableau builder for you as a player as you're trying to get the most efficient engine up and running as you're playing against your opponent.
1: So how do you get the engine started? Is it similar to the last game or is
0: it more of a new mechanic? It is completely different. The only similarity that this game has with the first game is the name. Uh, It's set in the same world. It is similar art style, but the mechanics end at the name. Uh, So the way this works is at the start of the round, the first player will select a tile. Uh, They can move a little tea picker meeple up to three spaces on these tiles, and that will then dictate what types of tea each player gets. It will also give you a number, which you can then use to either move your tea throughout your little plantation, or you can get more tea Up to that number. So let's say I put the little meeple on the one green, one white space. So I get a green tea, a white tea. You get a green tea, a white tea. And there's a four there. So that means I can either move those teas through the plantation four spaces. Or I can grab four other tea leaves from the pot. Uh, Then what we'll do is we'll roll dice. And then take those dice and place them as workers. So it's a dice placement game. You can then uh, either grab more tea that way. You can bid on a ship. You can outbid opponents for ships. The ships are gonna be what scores you victory points by putting certain types of tea on those ships. Uh, You can take first player with bidding die, or what you can do is purchase cards, which will then, when you put them into your tableau, push your tea leaves through the plantation. So there's a lot of different ways of moving the tea leaves. One of the biggest ways though is going to be with those cards, which you can then also refresh on your turn, which will move more tea leaves throughout the plantation.
1: Okay. Now I'm looking at uh, some of the Kickstarter options in here. You can get a print and play for just five dollars, which ain't too bad.
0: It's not too bad at all.
1: Uh, and what's the deluxe edition? So this is like would be the Kickstarter exclusive.
0: Yes. So the five dollar print and play is just that. The deluxe edition mm-hmm. is going to be just the game. It's forty bucks American, forty five dollars Canadian. Uh, which basically just gets you the game. Some of the deluxified components are going to be the actual tea leaves. They're made out of wood, and each individual color comes in a tin jar that is made to look like a tea jar. Oh,
1: that—that's so that's such a nice touch.
0: There's a lot of TLC that's gone into the overall components of this game, the presentation of the game. There's a ton of TLC that's gone into this and if you're feeling really bougie and you just adore chai and the world of chai there is a super ultimate edition which is called the team master edition 200 bucks us all it gets you in addition to the general components is a wooden box for the game
1: uh, not just a wooden box it has an engraved metal plates as well
0: True. I, I should have been a little bit more specific there. It's not just some box of wood they threw together. There's engraving on it. You'll know which game it is if you have a lot of wooden boxes on your shelf.
1: They went to the local Dollar Tree and, <laughs> and like, give me
0: those. $200.
1: Is this something you'd play with your mother or do you think uh, other gamers would like
0: this? It's definitely one that I would like to pick up to play with my mom. Uh, I think it's simple enough that it's pretty easy to teach while being complicated enough that there is some strategy there for people that are more into gaming, I would not buy this if you were a heavy Euro player. Like if you're thinking my father's work is the game for you, you want to be spending three hours making decisions on resources and what plans are better to research. Chai is not likely going to be the best fit for you. It's a lot more zen, but there is still some cutthroat decisions you can make when it comes to outbidding your opponent or making sure that you grab this shipping Contract so that you're able to get those points And they aren't There's a couple of different ways that you can Sort of mess with each other Without it being overly mean
1: I like when we go on the show and we can mention uh, a Canadian creator. We don't always get to do that, but uh, that is very much the case. So there's actually free shipping if you live in
0: either Calgary or Edmonton. I completely forgot to call out these guys were Canadian, and that was one of the things I was most excited (laughs) to talk about. (laughs) You just put it on big, bold, Canadian. Like, I got
1: this on my notes. (laughs) And then like, oh. It's the first thing I skip over.
0: That's the first thing I always forget to do is open my notes page. I'm always like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to take all this time and prep these great detailed notes and then never look at them. It's a really bad habit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they've, uh, they've really blown past the goal and they have a lot of stretch goals coming up. They're slowly revealing what the stretch goals are as they hit them, which... I'm not a huge fan of, I'd rather you just tell me what all your stretch goals are up front. Cause otherwise it seems a little bit like you're flying by the seat of your pants. I'm like, Oh, we'll throw UV spotting on, um, here's linen finish. The other thing that I will say is they have so many T puns on this page and in their updates it's almost difficult to read sometimes there's so many emoticons and so many t puns it's very charming and it really goes with the rest of the shtick of this but there's times it's like what is this word <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the party
1: do you think if it hits five million they'll uh, they'll announce nightcrawler as a stretch goal
0: <laughs> and we're just going to randomly throw in x-men <laughs> characters
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of like good X Men T jokes that I, I they're just not coming to me. T Men, the the Tigger Ma- oh Magneto, oh. it's right there. Magneto, Mag-
0: yeah. yeah, Magneto, I like that. That's a good call. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine how much more money Marvel United X Men would have made if they just randomly added Mister T as a playable character? Not the X-Men, just like the actual actor Mr. T.
1: They would have hit six million. I don't they're probably (laughs) just sitting there like, ah, we were just a little bit short of that six million. What could have pushed it over?
0: Frostpunk, the number one Kickstarter board game, no longer. It's Mr. T, the experience. <laughs> okay, the part T is over. If you have any questions for Sean or I, if we missed something that you feel like we should have covered, or if you just want to say hi, be sure to drop us a line at IFoundAthingPod at gmail.com. My name is Evan Winch. I'm Sean war And happy gaming, everyone. We'll see you in a couple weeks.